Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Uh, well, just before we start, um, just because, you know, everything, in the mouths of two and three witnesses, today in worship, I, I didn't talk with, with Glenn, but um, just so you know, like, I, I saw a few people today here who uh, might be experiencing some sort of negativity, some sort of criticalness, some sort of uh, real weird, like, worry and fear and anxiety and stuff, and I saw people engaging these kind of weird thoughts, and it was kind of like that alligator that kind of grabs hold of its prey and pulls it down into some sort of death spin, so just a, just a follow-up on what Glenn said. If that's you today... If you're struggling with that kind of thing, don't be afraid to come forward and have prayer at the altar today. We don't need to do names or hands up or anything like that, but that's a word from the Lord. So if anybody's struggling with that today, come get ministry for that today, because there's an authority in the name of Jesus to break that stuff off your life. And it's not you. You're not a negative, critical person. There's some times that you're just bombarded with thoughts that you can resist in Jesus' name. So take advantage of that opportunity today. The word of the Lord is here. So today we're going to uh, continue on with our Easter sermon series, Torn. And I don't know if anybody can uh, see back there, but we're starting to slowly and gradually uh, tear the uh, the curtain. Now, we all know the curtain was torn once and for all at the cross, but what we're, what we're trying to do here is a little pictorial... Uh, you know, communication that, you know what, all that stuff that's torn in the, in the world, in the universe, in our lives, uh, God restores. And all the barriers between us and God, ultimately, they're completely torn as well. So that's what we're trying to do in, in pictorial form. But uh, I don't know if you remember last week, if you were here, it was fantastic. If you weren't, I would strongly recommend doing the, uh, the archive. You can look at the, the live stream on the website, but it was, it was really, really good. And uh, you know what? This, this whole torn series is going to be great, hopefully today too. And uh, yeah, so uh, what I'm trying to say is get, get some of those cards and invite people, okay? We've got a, we've got a, a great message here. It's the gospel of the grace of, of the Lord, of the goodness of God. And uh, you know what? There's lots of times in the Bible where the, the message and the messenger, the messenger embodied the message. So we as a people here too, we have a lot to offer uh, the community of London and around. So please grab some cards, invite some people. They need to hear how we present the goodness of God and the love of Jesus. So last week, like you said, started, uh, Pastor Carl started uh, by tackling the massive issue of sin. The, the idea of a tear in our relationship uh, with God. And, uh, and he said, hey, you know what? We all have a problem called sin. Sin's a massive problem. But I love that he said this. If you, don't, if you don't understand what the problem is, you misdiagnose the problem, you end up with solutions that can ultimately exasperate the problem and make it so much worse. So you need to really understand what sin is. And he, and he talked about that. And we, we see how that plays out in the lives of Adam and Eve. Sin being selfishness and sin being a loss of perspective and a failure to ascribe worth and value to God, to yourself, to the people around you. So we see this, like I said, in Adam and Eve. Uh, they eat the fruit of the, knowledge of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to do it. And the thing that happened to them is they're like, oh my goodness, we realize we're naked. They were always naked, right? They didn't just take the clothes off when they ate from that tree. They, they were already naked, but what changed was their perspective, 
darkness descended on their mind, and they didn't see in Jesus, they didn't see in God a, a God who was able to, to more than meet that need with his grace and his righteousness, and they, and they came to think some crazy thoughts about God, and they thought, wow, I'm naked, so now God's angry at me. Something's wrong. God's upset with me, and they, they became enemies of God in their mind. They saw things differently. We know that God wasn't necessarily uh, upset with them as much as he was like, oh my goodness, something's happened to you, and I want to help. God came looking for Adam to restore his value. God didn't come to tell him off. He came looking to help him and to fix him. But their, their mentality was messed up. They're like, oh my goodness, I, I can't see a God other than somebody who's angry at me. And they became so selfish and so self-centered that the only thing they could see about God was filtered through their own selfishness. So that's what sin does. That's what sin is, and that's what sin does. But thanks, thanks to God. Thanks be to God that he's so much better than what we think. And our fallen mindset, he's so much bigger, so much better, so much more gracious than we uh, can imagine without his help, to be honest with you. So today, we're going to carry on. We're going to look at the idea of torn. But today, we're going to talk about, instead of a, a torn relationship with God through sin, we're going to look at a, a torn cosmos or a torn world. So the word cosmos, it's used in the Bible, in the Greek, in the New Testament anyways, 186 times. So the Greek word for world, so a torn world, is cosmos. And it means literally something ordered, uh, an ordered system, like the universe or the creation. We're going to talk about how the world itself has the marks of a tear on it, not something that God originally intended. So to start, have a look at this picture with me. That's actually a picture. That's not a painting. I don't know about you, but I think that's beautiful. That's fantastic. It looks like a painting. It almost looks like that's too good to be true, but that's, that's a real photograph. I, I'm not much for rocks myself, but that's awesome. Uh, next one. This is more like the kind of thing that captures my attention. I'm like, yeah, trees, mountains, valleys, and being a huge introvert, I love the island right in the middle there. I'd probably build my house right there with a, a bridge that I controlled. But it's beautiful. It's pretty awesome. Um, sorry, the next one, guys. There, that's also a picture of uh, the, the stars. That, that's a photograph from, from planet Earth somewhere. That's not what this guy looks like above my house. So, you know, I always have trouble. You know, when God says, that Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sea or the stars in the sky. And I'm like, well, there's the Big Dipper. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's what the sky looks like somewhere on planet Earth. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. That's what, that's what God made. God made that. That reflects the mind and, and the heart and the goodness of a God. So Psalms 19 says this, verses one to six. It says, the heavens, they're telling the glory of God and the firmament, proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of creation, or the end of the world. So their voices, the voice of creation, the stars, it goes out into all the world. And we see this idea again in the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul, he says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, he says, ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are to the naked eye, they've been understood and seen through the things that he's made. Somehow nature reflects and shows something to us of the goodness and the glory of God. You know, God made the world and he blessed it. He said it's good. So I think the picture that the universe is supposed to paint for us is, is, is of God's beauty, his wisdom. I mean, you look at the complexity in nature and you're just like, oh my goodness, you are smart. 
Now, the fact that the cosmos, the world, it reveals something about God, this, is, this obviously isn't a new idea. It's in the Bible. But I don't know if you'd be surprised to know, but the earliest scientists, particularly at the beginning of the, the scientific revolution and throughout history, they always understood their job and their role in exploring the natural world as, as understanding the mind of God. They often talked about the, the creation as, or the world around them as God's second book. So we got Galileo. I don't know if you know the story of Galileo and the trouble he went to to, to communicate the idea of a heliocentric universe to us, but Galileo, he's a, this is part of a, a letter that he wrote to the, the Grand Duchess of Tuscany. And uh, he's, he's quoting Tertullian, and he says this, we conclude that God is known first through nature, and then again, more particularly, by doctrine. By nature and his works, and by doctrine in his revealed word. Whatever you think about that, scientists, natural philosophers, they, they started out trying to, to discern the works of God in nature. They, they explored it, they, they tried to experiment, observe, because they thought by doing this, we're going to get to know a little bit more about God. So it's scriptural. It's historical. I think we probably all have our own, uh, our own experiences. I don't know if you've ever like, stepped out into nature yourself and just had one of those days where you walk outside at night and you're like, oh, wow, God, you're awesome. You go camping. I don't know. You know some, for me, it was uh, last Sunday night, actually, after dodgeball with the young adults. I drove home and we, just, uh, we moved to a new house in the country. And the back of my house, it's kind of on a, on a tiny hill. And there's farmer's fields uh, looking down behind it. So the effect is, anyways, there, there's forest and there's farms behind us, but, but you get to see a, a great big sky. You know, it's kind of like, if you've ever been to the prairies, like Saskatchewan, they say land of the living skies. It's kind of like that, my own version of that in my backyard, which is pretty cool. But anyways, I'm driving home and I saw the moon. I don't know if you saw it last Sunday, but it was like ridiculously big. When I drove home, it was low to the ground. It was orange. And I just stood outside before I walked in. And I was like, wow, God, that says something cool about you. I'm not sure exactly, but that's awesome. Like, I'm just filled full of wonder. Like, oh my goodness, when I see the stars, you know the, how the hymn goes. You're like, wow, even people who aren't Christians and have no, uh, I don't know, any type of like religious or spiritual uh, connection in their lives at all. Oftentimes they talk about some sort of feeling of transcendence that they get in nature. It communicates something of the goodness of God. But then there's a but. I got to ask, what about, what about things like this? Let's look at this slide here. What you're looking at there, apart from, uh, you know, real poverty and a, a lack of potential or, or, the, or damaged potential, what you're seeing there is actually the aftermath of the hurricane in Haiti. Uh, the, the earth did that. Nature did that. That's pretty terrible. What you're seeing here is actually a picture of after that tsunami. I think it's probably like a decade or so ago now, but uh, that's, that's horrible. That was caused by a wave. That was caused by, by nature. Something happened. So when we look at these kind of things, we, we're talking about a, a, a natural world that reflects the goodness and, and the awesomeness of God. But then we also have to look at pictures like this and say, well, what, what does that say? What, what's going on there? What, what, what's happening here? And, and you, know, you can answer that and say, well, you know, those storms, those waves, those earthquakes, that's just brute power, real force. That communicates the sovereignty of God and the power of God. 
but then I'd have to ask and say, well, does, does a power that unleashes death and destruction, does that actually reflect and demonstrate the power of an omnipotent, all-powerful God who uses his power to bless, to build up, and to give life? Uh, in our Friday group, we've been reading a book called uh, God is Good by Bill Johnson, and uh, he talks about people who get their, their theology from the insurance companies, and they would say, huh, that's an act of God, right? But insurance companies don't get to dictate our theology. Fortunately, Jesus does. And Jesus said, it's the devil. It's the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So when you're seeing destruction and all that kind of stuff in the world, you're not seeing uh, God's intention. You're not seeing God's will. You're not seeing his plan. When you look at that, that's horrible. And that's not the plan or the will of God. And that's not nature reflecting God's purpose and plan. So we have a problem. God created a world, beautiful, he blessed it, he said, that's good. It reflects and manifests. Somehow there's something in nature that communicates the goodness, the love, and the wisdom of God. But then we got stuff like this. Something happened in God's world. Something happened that, that it began to manifest a picture other than what God wanted it to do. And if you need any more convincing, like I'm not trying to make light of this stuff, but if, if you need any more convincing, there's a creature on planet Earth that's so abhorrent and so disgusting. It's this thing right here. I don't know about you, but I hate these things, and I frequently ask God, God, why? What purpose does this actually serve? I cannot imagine a God. He said, you know what? I'm going to make these little creatures so that when my people get off the TVs and go out into nature and enjoy the world, these little pesky things are going to chase them around, prick their flesh, suck their blood, and leave an intolerable, itchy mark. Like, I don't see God doing that. Like, that's terrible. But actually, a little bit more serious. Uh, actually, when I finished preparing this sermon yesterday, I sat down and watched a little bit of TV with my son. And he watches on, on Netflix this show called something like 72 Most Horrible Dangerous Animals or something like that. Actually, the mosquito was number one. Uh, seriously, the amount of death and destructions, the, these horrible little things, they wreck your picnic and they wreck your walk, right? But they actually kill people. Like, they're brutal. I don't know what, what the deal is there, but that's terrible. Anyways, that should convince you. We can all, I hope, relate to that. But um, anyways, there's a creation. God made it. He made it good. Something happened. Mosquitoes. <laughs> but have you ever made something? I don't know, have you ever, like, my kids sometimes they build Lego, like Lego houses or Lego worlds, and then, and then it gets destroyed by the other one, and another kid breaks it, and like, oh my goodness, you just ruined my world. I don't know if you've ever built something like that. For me, it's a little bit more trivial, but it looks like this. I'm, I'm one of those people who, like, I'm very particular when I uh, watch TV. I like to have my, my living room just right, so I need a chair, or I need a spot on my couch that looks right at the TV. If I gotta watch TV like this, I'm not gonna watch it. If I gotta watch TV like this, I'm not gonna watch it. It just messes with my world, right? Now I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had my living room just perfect. Everything's great. I'm gonna come home, I'm gonna watch TV, it's gonna be awesome. And I come home from school or I come home from work and my whole living room's moved around. It's just a couch that was here, my chair that was here is now over there, the TV that was in a beautiful spot is now way the heck over here and I can't figure out why. And my wife assures me she's got a great plan behind this. Usually it's something like, uh, you know, well I, well I have to clean behind this chair, you're not gonna do it, so I had to move it and then when I moved it, it looked so good there. 
And I got to watch TV on an angle, on a stinking angle. Maybe not an appropriate analogy in terms of scope and magnitude, I'm sure, but I think God feels some of my pain. <laughs> He's a good, loving creator. He made a beautiful creation, and then something happened. It was torn. There was a tear in that world, and it started to resemble something other than what he had in mind. I think this works. This is a parable that Jesus said. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, but I think it, it works when we're talking about his creation as well. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has sown tares in God's field, in God's creation. There's things in the world that look the way that they do in the natural world because an enemy sowed tares in that. I blame the devil, and I think Jesus does too. So in the Bible, we have a few different accounts of, of God actually making the, the cosmos, the world, the heavens and the earth. I don't know if you know that, but there's more than just Genesis chapter 1. There's, there's actually two in Genesis chapter 1 to 2, 4, and then 2, 4 to 3. And then just, if you're interested, Psalm 74, 12 to 17, Psalms 89, 1 to 52, 104, 1 to 35. These are all different accounts of, of God's creating the world. And then in the New Testament, we see it a little bit more clearly. You know, Genesis says in the beginnings God created, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we know from uh, the Apostle Paul and the revelation that he got that it was by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. You know, we looked at those, those awesome pictures of nature, but I mean, if you had a, a different kind of camera, you'd be able to see uh, behind that, above it, below it, interacting with it, on it. There's a, there's a spiritual creation as well. There are entities and beings and all sorts of activity that the naked eye doesn't see. But all of this, God made it all. God made all things, and he did it through the person of Jesus. And we know that he had a plan. His plan, I think, is a little bit more deeper than being able to have an enjoyable night of TV straight on. He had a plan. The Apostle Paul, he talks about it with, with great clarity and insight. He says, from the very beginning, God made, to us, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of the time to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That's God's plan. That was his plan from the beginning, the mystery of why he made everything. It's fantastic. To gather it all together in Christ, not just people, but things. God has a plan for all things on planet earth. Now, here's the statement that I love. This is by a, a guy commenting on Karl Barth's theology. And Pastor Karl introduced this to, to Karl Barth with a, with a great quote last week about sin. But, but he says this, Protestant theology, it goes wrong, he argues, when, he teach, when it teaches that the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus becoming a man in a body, um, was a, an ad hoc countermeasure necessitated by sin. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God determined to take man into a partnership with him on the basis of the incarnation. But in order to have man as a covenant partner, God must first create him. And in order to create him, in order for man to exist, he must have a sphere of existence. So there's this reciprocal relationship between creation and covenant. 
God sought partnership with the creation, with humanity, a very specific relationship. You know, you have a relationship to God that nothing else in the whole cosmos can have or ever will have. We're, we're made to be sons and daughters of God, to bear and reflect his very own image. Nothing else does that. My dogs are never going to do that. The angels are never going to do that. When I die, I'm not going to be an angel. None of that happens. We have a lofted and an exalted position in, in the whole house, in the whole plan, in the whole economy of God as his sons and his daughters. So we, we don't have time to establish this, but I just, I'm going to just say a couple sentences here that I hope, uh, hope resonates. I think the Bible attests to. There's certainly lots of books that you can read out there to, to, to help with this, but I believe the Bible teaches that God created man and he dropped him in the middle of a world that was torn by war a war-torn world between God and a satanic power. And apparently in this, in this world, if you, if you believe the book of Genesis, this is a place where snakes and fallen angels, they interact with each other, they mingle together and apparently use each other. Well, that's a bit of a, an oversimplification, but God put us in a, in a, on a planet where there was a war going on between God and the devil. God created humanity as the creation that God would join himself to to forever put an end to this whole rebellion. So I don't know if you remember a couple, I guess it'd be a couple months ago now, but Pastor Carl preached that sermon where he's talking about the word kibosh. You know, take dominion of the earth, rule it, put the kibosh on all that stuff that shouldn't be. All, export, take the conditions of the garden and, and export it to the rest of planet earth. So he says to the humans that he made, he said, be fruitful, be multiply, or multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Put the kibosh on everything ugly. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So human beings were keepers of the earth. It would be from humanity that Jesus would come. And as a man, he came to save us. But more than that, as Glenn talked about today, Jesus came and he took back authority to restore humanity to his rightful place in creation. So, like I said, as we've heard many times, that Adam and Eve were commissioned by God to export the conditions in the garden and to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, bearing God's likeness and image. But something happened. Tragically, as we heard last week, humans fell. We sinned. And when we did this, we came under the authority and the power of the very evil that we were created to put the kibosh on. We became subjected to a, a, a natural world also, that we were supposed to exercise dominion over. Now, if you follow that story, if you, if you read it, you know, if, sometimes for me, it can sound a little bit fantastical. Like, okay, we've got talking snakes, we've got fallen angels, we've got magical trees, we've got a transfer of authority between demons, the devil, and humanity. Like, how does that all work? That sounds like, oh my goodness, did like a, a, a mystical green cloud come out and all of a sudden authority was gone? Did, did Adam take out his keys and give them to the devil? Like, how did that happen? And it's actually quite simple. We believed a lie. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And when we did that, we as, as people, we came under the influence of the one that Jesus called the father of lies. And Satan became, at that point, the de facto, the ruler, the unchallenged ruler of planet Earth. Because we believed his lie. Not through anything different. And if that was true of Adam and Eve, how much true is that now for us, redeemed, born-again people in whom the Spirit of God lives? The only power that devil has is the lie. Kick out the lie, kick out his power. 
But the devil, he's the, right now, he is, the Bible calls him, says it right there, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan is referred to as the God of this world. In Ephesians 2, the ruler of the power of the air. And in 1 John 5.19, it tells us we know we're the children of God, but the whole world, the whole cosmos lies under the power of the evil one. The whole world made to, you know, created to reflect God's beauty and wisdom. Somehow, and now, because we, the ones who were put in charge, believed the lie, has now come under the power of this evil one. And on top of that, it's almost like the earth itself, it's kind of turned on us as well. You know, when you think about this, if the whole world has fallen under the power of the evil one, is it surprising to somehow see some things in nature or in the natural world, in the cosmos, that don't reflect the goodness of God? Sometimes we do see devastation and destruction and, and horribleness. And I think instead of saying, hey, God, you're, you created it all, it's up to you, God's created a world where we're free, where there's responsibility. There's a certain autonomy for people who make decisions and, and even evil. The whole world's under the power of the evil one. This world that was entrusted to us has now been turned against us. So maybe you've heard like uh, in politics right now, if you follow American politics, you might have heard of the, the weaponization of the intelligence community or the weaponization of the news media where, where the news is hijacked and used to serve somebody's purpose. Well, what if Satan weaponized the world? He took God's good creation and he turned it against us. Think about mosquitoes. Think about these horrible germs and bugs and viruses and bacteria and all that stuff. Like, that's, that, that wasn't right. That's not cool. That's not cool. But like I said, sometimes the earth itself, it's turned against humanity. The earth created to be the backdrop for this beautiful relationship between God and humanity to show the glory of God. It's almost like it recognizes its own purpose and it rebels against the rebels. So Jesus, or God, he, he describes this process to Adam. He says, hey, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, you are dust. And to dust you will return. So cursed is the ground because of you. Because of you. You're taken from the dust, you're going to return to the dust. You know, I think that's, that's often put in a horrible context at a time when we don't want to hear it, oftentimes. But there's a special relationship that we have between uh, humanity and the earth. God made us, he, he took the, the dirt. He took dirt from the ground and he made us out of that. You know, you're basically a couple buckets of uh, dirt and some water, right? Something like that. That's basically what you are with a God-breathed spirit inside of it. There's a special relationship we have between the earth. So, so look at this. He's talking to the, the Israelites, and he's saying, you know what? Behave yourselves when you go into that land I'm giving you. Otherwise, this is going to happen to you. The land will vomit you out for defiling it as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Somehow, the earth, it responds to the, to the condition of the humanity that lives upon it because we have a special relationship with it. And, you know, that, that special relationship, sometimes it's captured in, in, in non-Christian, I'm going to say non-Christian spiritualities and worldviews and stuff like that, which I, I, I don't endorse. But I think they, they, they see something there that we sometimes miss. God put us in a world, put us in charge of it, gave a special relationship with us, and there's some sort of reciprocal thing going on. And I don't think it's weird, but it's true. Absolutely true.
Now, we've got a, a more positive spin on this as well. So in Romans, he says this. He says, for the, Paul, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not out of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, this is it, will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. There's a special relationship that we have. Creation is groaning. It's in pain. It's, it's waiting for, for the people who bear the image and the likeness of God again to walk on the earth. You know, there, there's something going on. I think, you know, there's a... There's political movements, there's grassroots movements right now, green movements, all these kind of things. I, uh, I don't necessarily always, uh, I don't know, uh, trust where it comes from, but I think that God would make common cause with a lot of this stuff. Hey, these people want to look after the earth, and so do I. I made it. It's beautiful. You should steward that well. You should look after that. And I think, just as an aside, just, just thinking, but there's a people out there who care about God's world, but maybe don't know God. So maybe that's a mission field that we could consider as well, right? Millennials, all that kind of stuff. People really care about the world. There's a good movement out there, and, and they've got a good godly cause. And people, like, uh, my inclination is, uh, uh, that's kind of weird. There you go. But maybe I should listen, you know? Maybe I should listen to those people, because they're actually reflecting something of the heart of God. Now, the thing about it is this. The creation's groaning, but it's not groaning for a carbon tax. It's not groaning for a protest, right? But it's groaning. Something's wrong. But it's groaning, and it's waiting for a restored humanity. A restored humanity that, again, bears the image and the likeness of God. That's the plan. That's how creation is going to be completely restored, through a restored humanity. So we've got a video here that we'll watch that's uh, about a restored life, a restored human. So let's cue that up. My name is Stefan. I'm one of the ushers here at Impact, and I do a few other things, help with small groups and such. Uh, but I used to have a problem with cocaine. Uh, did it pretty much, you know, daily for about three years. Barely slept, rarely ate, struggled to pay my bills. Then in the night of feverish dreams, I cried out to God for something more, something different. And I know that God reached down for me. A huge part of that was coming here to impact and develop in a good community, finding people that I know I like, cared about me and genuinely wanted what was best for me. Um, since that time, you know, my health has come back. I'm in school, I'm doing some stuff at the university radio show. I'm preaching for a group of Christian bikers. Uh, it's been an amazing turnaround and I know it's all been God. It's an amazing turnaround. It's all been God. Stefan's life has been and is being restored. And Stefan is a restorer. If you get to know him and you get to know the people that he's involved with, he's, uh, he's working to restore relationships between people and God. He's working to, to let people know that there's a, there's a God out there who's forgiven them and who loves them. Stefan's a great story of restoration. Problems with cocaine. He barely slept. He barely ate. He struggled with provision. But God reached down for me. God entered into, into Stefan's world and restored him. And as we've seen, the relationship between humanity and the earth, we see that when God goes about re repairing the tear in creation, he does so by first restoring humanity. 
And in the person of Jesus, he enters into our world. He becomes a man. He takes on flesh. He takes on blood. He, he, he becomes and bears the, the, the natural world, the matter, the physicality that we all have. He enters into that. God who's spirit, who's forever thought of as, as transcendent, above and beyond all things, can't see him, can't touch him. He actually enters into our world, which is crazy. And Jesus, he shows us and he demonstrates for us what, what life looked like, what a, what a restored humanity looks like, what it looks like for the sons and daughters of God to walk on the earth and interact with that earth in the appropriate way. So this is, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and it's from the Message Bible. And uh, whoever's familiar with the Message Bible will appreciate my Romans 8.29-ish, because it's all a little bit wonky, but... God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Now, when we talk about Jesus, it's super important that your, your picture of God looks like Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation of God to us. When we want to know what God's like, we look at Jesus. When we want to look at what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to look like, when we want to see the original intended shape of our lives, we also see that in Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. Man, God. He's the perfect picture of all that we're meant to be. So just to finish today, I thought it would be interesting to look at a few instances of how Jesus interacts with his world, how he interacted with the natural world and what it looks like for him to uh, manifest on planet Earth a restored relationship between humanity and the Earth and how that tear can be fixed. So the first thing here, he rebukes the devil's activity in nature. Now we talked about how sometimes the world looks like not necessarily the picture of God, that it should. We see something else. We see something ugly. We see destruction. We see something that looks like the thief and the liar that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus, what he did when he saw that, he discerns the work of the devil, the, the weaponization of nature, so to speak, and he, he rebukes the devil. So here's the story. He's with his disciples. He's going across a, a sea or a lake or something. I can't remember. Uh, but he gets in the boat. He falls asleep. Jesus is in the boat, and a, and a storm arises. It says, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus woke up, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. Now, the fascinating thing about this is that word for rebuke, it's actually epitomeo to censure, to admonish, to forbid, strictly rebuke. But the, the cool thing about this word is this is the same word used in Matthew 17, 18, when the disciples come back to Jesus and there's a demon that they can't kick out of a boy. So the young boy's father comes to Jesus and says, hey, help me, I can't, we can't, what's going on? Your disciples can't do this. And it says here, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was cured instantly. He, he kicked the devil out of nature just as he kicked the devil out of people. He rebuked the devil and said, get out. He cast it out. He discerned it, and he saw that there was a demonic thing behind what was going on. So I'm just thinking, but it would be awkward if we were in the habit of ascribing cause and effect to some of the things in the world, like natural disasters and things like that, and some of the things that were meant to be rebuking were kind of like, yeah, that was God. I'll be an awkward conversation with Jesus one day, right? You should have rebuked that. You shouldn't have celebrated it. You shouldn't have tried to say it was mine, and you shouldn't have said, ha, that's what you deserve. Pray about it. Get it out of here. 
rebuke that thing. Number two, he restores dominion and order. So, Stefan's story. Stefan has a problem with cocaine. A lot of people have. A lot of people do. A lot of people have trouble with natural substances. But have you ever thought that's bondage to a plant? Yeah, that's bondage to the natural world. So Jesus comes eating and drinking. He comes eating and, and in Greek, imbibing. He comes eating and drinking alcohol. But I think we all know Jesus never got fall down, stupid, sloppy, drunk, right? He's always in control. He's always in control. He restores control and empowers you to have control over your life. Substances, circumstances, all that stuff doesn't come over you. You, you. you live over that. But there's also another way that natural things can put you in bondage. People, religious systems, they can use natural things to put you in bondage as well when they're used in the support of some sort of religious system. So in Matthew 12, 1 to 2, Jesus, he's walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful. So this, it's kind of funny, actually. The Pharisees are talking to the guy who made the whole world, the guy who made those grain fields, and he's saying, you know what? They're not allowed to do that because that doesn't serve our religious purpose. And he's like, are you kidding me? No. He's like, you know what? The Sabbath, all its rules, all the regulations, all the taste not, touch not, handle not, all that stuff, you know what? Everything to do with anything, I'm in charge of that. I determine what gets used and what doesn't get used. And he says, you know what? The Sabbath, it was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Enjoy stuff. Enjoy it. God gave it. And don't, don't get into this bondage. Don't touch. Don't taste. Don't handle. You know, when we do that and we interact with the natural world in a weird way where we start saying, you know what? I'm more spiritual if I have this diet or this pattern of life or, or, or I do this or that or the other thing. Like with my natural world, I don't touch this. I don't touch that. I don't handle that. That's, that's bizarre. It's not helpful. And Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ says, stop it. Let that stuff go. That, that's what happens when you belong to the world. You're free from all that stuff. Those things are made for you, not you for it. And the third thing we see from the life of Jesus is he didn't waste. Now, that could be a bit of a stretch, but I think I see that in the scriptures. And what I'm trying to talk about is stewardship. So after he multiplies the, the loaves and the fishes, it says this, all ate and were filled. They took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. He took it up. It's in the Bible. It says he took it up. They didn't need to say that. I don't know if, they, if there's another deeper, more spiritual reason for that, but, but they took it up. They, good stewardship, you know, maximize, maximizes resources. Resources that are put on the planet for us to enjoy. Creation's here to bless humanity. We're supposed to use it. But then you look around at the world and you think, you know, how much destruction of our world, how much degra degradation is in the world, how much of, you know, the damage in ecosystems and stuff like that has to do with waste. You know, waste at some level, it's inevitable. We, we live in this world. I'm probably not going to stop buying frozen pizzas because I love them. But there's plastic and there's you know, a box and all that kind of stuff. But remember the song about recycle, reduce, reuse? That's spiritual, right? Taking you to recycling out on a Thursday morning, that's spiritual. That's looking after the good creation that God made. For real. So in Acts chapter 3, we're told this. It talks about a time, times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord, about him sending the Messiah appointed for you. That is Jesus who must remain in heaven until, get this, Jesus must remain in heaven 
until the universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Universal restoration of the whole world. That's crazy. But that's where we're headed. So what does that look like? What does it look like for the holy prophets to talk about universal restoration? Well, here's one thing. In Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9, it says this. One day on planet Earth, planet Earth's going to look like this. The wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie with the kid, the calf, and the lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. That's pretty cool. I've got coyotes where I live. And sometimes I'm thinking, I don't want my kid outside right now. I don't want my kids running around. There's those horrible dog-looking things. Right? Sometimes it's crazy. A child shall lead them. A cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the, water, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth as waters cover the sea, one of the impacts is a complete change. Even the animal world is going to change. Total transformation. transformation. The lion's going to eat straw like an ox. That's crazy. But it's the result of the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth as waters cover the sea. Transformation in the animal kingdom. Transformation of what we would say is absolutely natural. That's the result of the gospel transforming a community and an impact on the earth. A, a, a changed and a restored relationship between humanity and the world around. So, you know what? I'm not saying we all need to go be farmers. And I'm not saying we all need to, uh, you know, grow plants in your backyard if that's not your thing. It might mean recycle. It might mean ask the question, what does your world look like restored? You know, and actually ask the question, because I think that's the question that God asks us. Sometimes we're thinking, you know what, God, give me a plan. Show me what the world looks like when it's all fixed. And God's saying, hey, well, I gave it to you. What, is, what does it look like when it's fixed? What does it look like? What does your world look like when it's fixed? Now, I love this. If sin is a wrong value, it's a wrong valuing. of It's not seeing the value of God. It's not ascribing the worth to God that he deserves. It's not seeing your own worth. It's not seeing the worth of the people around you or the world around you. Redemption might look like a transformation of your opinion, a transformation of your view, a transformation of your, your perspective on the world around you. So Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in the Message Bible, usually it says um, goodness. But the Message Bible, it translates goodness as instead being a Holy Spirit-produced inner conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. That's a godly opinion. Walk through the world and be like, wow, that was set apart for God. How can I use that to bless somebody else and reflect God's value and their value? So God's solution for a torn cosmos, it's a restored people, as we saw with Stephen, stored, restored in relationship with the loving Father, manifesting his nature as we live in this cosmos. Jesus restores the restorers. We're the restorers. He restores us. Jesus restores restorers. So, stand with me, please. Let's stand. So just for a second, if uh, everybody can have their eyes closed, their heads bowed. Not eyes bowed and heads closed. I got that right. Praise Jesus. But if there's people here today, if there's somebody here today who you, you want to be restored, you've heard about restoration and you want your life restored, and it starts with being restored in our relationship with the loving Father. 
If there's someone here today who doesn't know that, who doesn't know, who's never made that decision, who's never said, you know what, God, I want to know you. I want to be restored in my relationship with you. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you here today, please put your hand up. Put it up nice and high so that we can see it. This is a chance to experience that restoration of your relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. One, two, three. All right, thank you. All right, eyes closed, heads bowed. Please, everybody, pray with me. Father God, thank you that you love me so much. I accept right now your invitation to a restored relationship. Thank you for Jesus. Come into my heart and let's do this. In Jesus' name. All right, everybody else, thank you. If you've done that, if you put your hand up today, somebody might pat you on the shoulder and just have a quick word. But welcome to the family of God. Welcome to a restored relationship with your father. All right. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for making us. Thank you for making this beautiful world. Thank you for restoring our relationship with you and the opportunity to enjoy the world that you've made. God, we pray that we would be good stewards. Good, uh, good stewards of this world that you made and that it would just flow out of the fact that we are the redeemed, restored children of Almighty God. Bless us today, Father, and always, we ask in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.